Hello and welcome again to the GigCX Decoded podcast. We are diving deeper into the world of GigCX or gig-based customer service. Brought to you by Limitless. I have to say we are, of course, the leading GigCX platform. Um, and I'm your host. I'm the chief sales officer here at the good ship Limitless. Uh, GigCX, for those that are unfamiliar with the term, is about enabling organizations to route digital inquiries to crowds of often customers, and they get rewarded for answering inquiries on a per outcome or per gig basis. That's what GigCX is all about. And our mission is to help educate the customer service world, give them a bit more information about it. And then through the course of that, what we're doing is bringing on some cleverer people than myself onto the show to start talking to them a bit, you know, about their expertise. And today, I am very excited to bring on I don't know what to call you, Paul. Is it the godfather of gig? Is it the you know, the originator of gig? The guru of gig? Because you, know, you 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 are gig, man. This is this is you. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'm just I'm just trying to to figure things out. And one day I reached out to a freelancer. By the way, he's still working with me to this day, and it just it changed my view of the way uh, work should be done. And I I haven't let go of it. And I'm I'm trying to as best I can share the opportunities and and educate people, uh, whether it's their careers or their businesses. Uh, about the possibility of, of, you know, working with a distributed global workforce. There we go. Right. Well, so I've got a little uh, little script here that my producer kind of, so I'm going to read it out. You tell me how good this is about um, a summary of you. So this is Paul Lesters, the founder of Expert Link AI, the best-selling author of the Gig Mindset book, which I've read, by the way. In fact, I thought I had it here, but it, it someone must have taken it home because you know, I'm in the office today Um and uh and we've got a whole bunch of books on this industry and stuff and you're what yours has been here um it's not been propping a table up it's actually been here and people have been reading it and uh you know 20 years in the industry driving leadership roles in microsoft amazon and dell you've got your own you know massive readership a hundred thousand readers that's nearly as much as mine and your linkedin newsletter insights across the board in fast company TechCrunch, forbes and you're a keynote speaker and panelist i mean I mean, you've got some amazing accolades there, but you mean all these sort of podcasts and these speeches you do. I mean, I mean, they're they're, they're gigs, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the nature of what you're doing. You you get to choose the keynotes and the the speeches you do, and we're very fortunate today you've chosen this one. Um, but that's you know the, the nature of business. I mean, anything else you want to add to that list of uh, accolades? No, I, I just each one of those. I remember how much work <laughs> each one of them was. So I I appreciate the intro. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, well, um, so we're going to go into a bit more detail about um, about Gig CX. Now, your background, as you know, as I understand it, and you can correct me wrong, is, is covering gig across the whole industry and why any organisation needs to adopt this sort of you know, mindset. Hence your book. Um, you know, our industry, what we do, is all in the customer service industry. So we'll you know we'll play around a bit, go across areas, but you know we'll, we'll keep it. You know, kind of linked to our, you know, our part of the industry as well. So, um, I mean, do you want to give any more intro on yourself and your and your background before we, you know, get into some of the questions? No, I think I think you covered it well. We're, we're okay, fine. Let's do it. Right. So let's get into some of the big one to start with. So I've got I've got a few questions, but um, what I thought we'd start with actually, it's a bit of a curveball, but you know, everyone loves a curveball every now and again. Is um, some of the uh, the sort of myths and people because gig is gig has got a stigma right in the industry now i, I would I would wager that at, at a minimum 75 percent of the people listening to this podcast have 
been a consumer of gig of some description, either food delivery, you know, taxi rides or Airbnb or, you know, whatever it is, there's some form of trade-off between somebody wanting a service and someone turning up and then being able to do it. What they may not have realized behind the scenes is that's what, that's what gig is. And there's a lot of um, misunderstanding in, in the world. So there's, there's a few common myths that I think I see quite often the first one is about uh, quality, right? Because gig can often, people say, well, if people aren't employed to do the work, then the quality must be rubbish. What's your perspective on that? Well, for, first, I think it's a really good question because I think a lot of people misunderstand um, what the term actually means. And, they, and right. most to your point, go back to an Uber or Lyft or something like that. Mm. When we think of independent labor, just people that aren't employed uh, you know, buy a traditional company that's globally, that's almost a $5 trillion market. So wow. when, you, when you talk about people that are independently employed, it's not a small part of the global economy. Mm. And when we talk about the gig economy, we are talking about the digital transformation of that labor, right? And so the first place we saw sort of product market fit was with Uber and some of the, mm -hmm. on the B2C <clears throat> side, but that's not new in technology. I mean, the first part of consumer adoption of cell phones was the iPhone. And then every consumer brought their personal phone, you know, to the company. And the IT person had to then adopt the idea right. that bring your own phone thing versus, you know, let me give you a phone. So we've seen lots of trends in the consumer space start to greatly influence how work is done and then how products are created. So that's, that's the first thing when you understand the digital transformation of independent labor. Mm. Uh, it's not just these sort of niche places. We're starting to see a lot of places where it's um, really revolutionizing uh, industries. The one that, that I use often to help people uh, is telemedicine. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, you know, oh, gig economy, people are low-skilled workers or, or, you know, mm. they don't work at the company. You know, there's a company here, Teladoc, and, and I use their service and I talk about it quite often. The doctor on the other end of the FaceTime with me Mm. It's an independent worker it is for all practical purposes, a gig worker. And so we're starting to see doctors, lawyers and, 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 and you know, better health, whether, you know, yeah. psychologists and, and well-trained, highly paid people lean into this digital transformation of certain industries. And so I try to expand people's understanding of the gig economy. It's not just your Upwork and Fivers. It's not just... You know, mm. the work that you guys are doing over at Limitless on the CX and, and the support side, but it's happening in every industry. You can look at LegalZoom and see what's happening uh, with lawyers. You can look at Notarize and see how the notary industry you know, mm. down to the in the U.S. down to the UPS store or somewhere and find a notary to notarize our documents. And now you press a button and it's all done on a platform with an independent notary on the other side. And so I, I think. I hope that's a helpful way to sort of look at the the technology and the revolution that's going on as the cloud and mobile becomes, you know, standard place. Cool. Thanks for that, Paul. So the um, the, the other um, thing that we see is uh, organizations. So what you described there was a lot of consumer. You know, it's sort of driven by the consumer world, and then it ends up in the in in the sort of corporate world and the B to, you know, from B to C in that respect. Um, organizations thinking this is about exploitation of of 
the workforce, i.e. it's about how I can get a race to the bottom in terms of cost without having to pay people the additional add-ons and benefits and everything like that. That's the often the biggest challenge, you know, an, an objection that we get or the biggest sort of, you know, that it's that word association game. You know, someone says gig and people go, ah, oh, it's that. It's like you're just, you're just, you're just, you know, abusing a workforce and all of that. But I'm really interested in your perspective from, from the other side in terms of the level of demand there is from, from that flexible workforce and how that's rising. How do you put that together? Yeah, so first let's talk about, you know, this idea to, to, to buy into, to understand that argument. The first thing you have to say is, oh, if I work at a company, then everything's perfect. It's, it's, a, it's a great experience. And we, and we see time and time again that the burnout, the layoffs, the, all of the things, you know, the workplace surveillance, all of the things that mm. are going on in corporations, there is very low engagement. And call it quiet quitting, call it resting, investing, call it what you want. Mm. And so... Be careful in making the comparison that one is bad and the other is good. That's right. the first thing I would say. They, they both have benefits and they both have challenges. And so that's the first thing is, is understand. Because a lot of what I hear, having lived in both worlds, both being employed at a large corporations and being independent, is the corporate people say, oh, well, it's really bad over there for the independent. And the independent people say, man, I'd never go and do that. And so when you live in both of those worlds, you get a little different perspective. I, I do think... Um, that especially here in the U.S., where our benefits are tied to uh, a traditional job and an employer, it becomes yeah. really challenging uh, to do independent work. And so I do think that there is a discussion and is being had right now um, with all the lawsuits that are going on, trying to figure mm. out you know, tr the true definition of worker classification and what that means. We just have what I would consider a very broken system because uh, I believe in the U.S., if you gave everybody, you know, the health benefits that you have in the UK, a mm. lot of people would be doing independent work. Um, right. the, other, the other thing is, I think companies are starting to be socially responsible in, in how they look at their independent workforces, right? Mm -hmm. We saw this happen in manufacturing, right? There was a time when um, Apple and others were getting in trouble uh, overseas mm. by, by the race to the bottom and, and some of the labor practices and things that you saw uh, at the various facilities. And so I think that companies in general now are, are trying to figure out, you know, what is fair pay uh, for fair work. And so I think, you know, like I said, both sides have challenges, um, but it's not a race for the bottom. You always pay. My dad told me the, you know, many things, but you always pay for what you get. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I can, you know, I've, I was talking on, I think it was actually one of the other episodes, but uh, the, there, I think there's a fundamental difference between, somebody choosing to do the work and someone feeling obligated to do the work because they've got a salary and that exchange for your time and your resources you know and, and you know to bring this into our world if you um uh you know contact centers agents are, are often you know the paid minimum wages it's often the you know an entry job for people but the demands on them are huge right because if if customer service goes wonky for an organization, the ramifications are huge. So they're under huge amounts of pressure. So they're like, do do the most amazing job you possibly can, uh, but we need you to be working to this level of optimization because if we get that wrong, 
i.e. if you're not working, you know, traditionally it's about 80%, 65 to 80% sort of occupancy. So if someone's, you know, employed to work eight hours a day, they know they're productive for 80% of that time. So they're, they're like days are planned out in like 15 minute increments. You know, they get these adherence schedules and it's like, this is what I've got to do. And, and, you know, that was my first ever job in a, you know, in a contact center. And I, and I, I remember those, you know, those schedules and that time. And, you know, the burnout it creates, but you, you don't have a relationship with the work. It's just work. You just there like, you feel like you're on a, you know, on a machine line. You're just on a conveyor belt. Whereas the, the differences between independent workers is they, they have to choose the work that they want to do. So their relationship with that task uh, is very different and the, therefore the relationship and the outcome is often different and that's the the biggest challenge you know when we look back at the history of limitless and where we where you know, where we found it so the roger and megan who found the business used to run you know massive outsources the biggest issue they had was attrition it was like we've got to spend all this money to find the people we've got to invite them in to do all this then we've got to make them productive in terms of giving them all the school the skills and the training on everything because you've got to show them Every, you know, all the IT systems, here's all of the stuff you're going to use, here's how you, you navigate yourself around the building, and it takes you six weeks to become productive, and then you're paid minimum wages, we're going to work you like a dog, and then six months you go somewhere else for 50 cents an hour more, and then you go again, and you just it's constant, you know, constant merry-go-round, and that drives this, you know, this perpetual attrition, and the, you know, and, and the lack of, the lack of quality in it, but the, you know, the, the, the flip side to that from from what you talk about is in the rise of this, you know, the independent worker or the freelancer status is that difference between people saying, yeah, I, I really want to work in this way versus I'm just paid a salary to work in this way. Well, there, there's a couple of things. One, yes, in, in the current world that I live in, I get to choose who I want to work with. Uh, and that autonomy to choose the, the work I want to do and who I want to work with is, is a big benefit. The other thing is that you have a lot of independent workers that have portfolio careers. Right? Mm. So independent workers, you know, have a portfolio. career. It's not called a side hustle or moonlighting. Mm. If you're in a large company or a medium sized company. The HR policies really do not allow moonlighting or side hustling. Yeah. Right? The learning is, oh, well, I signed up for, you know, Coursera or LinkedIn Learning, and mm -hmm. here's your learning track. It's like, well, that's not how I learn. It's like, well, that's not you know, tough. And so, you know, you're not allowed to have a persona, a professional persona, really outside the bounds of your employment and the strategies of the company. Mm. And so, I look, I I worked on a lot of projects that failed, right? And spent lots of years on on projects that failed. I learned some things, um, but I didn't have the opportunity to go and say, well, I want to do something on the side and, and try to learn while I'm doing this. It was a very, it's a very constricted from a policy perspective, um, you know, environment. And so I think one of the benefits that we see of independent work is, hey, today I might be spending, you know, 20 hours a week doing uh, call center work or this kind of work. I might be mm. doing other uh, engagements. And that creates a, a type of resiliency uh, that I think a lot of people going forward, I, I know in, the, in mm. generations behind Generation X, um, people expect. They don't expect to be held captive in a job for you know twenty years. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was um, <clears throat> I was just thinking my uh, my daughter's eight, right, and when she gets to eighteen and goes into the the workforce, and I was saying, yeah, so Daddy used to you know, he used to sit in a building for nine hours a day and he used to travel you know an hour and a half to go in, an hour and a half to come back, and she, and I can just imagine her saying, well, why would you do that? Like it's just it's just crazy, but. 
I, 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 I've thought a lot about I, I struggle with the binary nature of the discussion right now. When, when you talk mm-hmm. about and, and we were talking, you know, you're, you're in the London office today on Friday. I think there was a stage of your career and Scott Galloway on, on the pivot talks about this. Mm. a lot. I think there was a stage of your career, or at least of my career in the early days when I was mm. at Dell and we were working insane hours. Mm. Um, we're going there and learning and cutting your teeth and understanding how organizations run, how business runs, the camaraderie and stuff are extremely important. And I think, you know, had I had the beginning of my career kind of sitting in and staring at Zoom and stuff and trying to understand business and understand technology, uh, it would have been extremely hard. Um, so I don't think it's binary. I think companies mm. are trying to figure out you know, what hybrid actually means mm. and how you create that human connection. But I also believe that going there five days a week during traffic hours, um, you know, that magical things happen at the water coolers because most of the water coolers I went with were filled with people I wanted to avoid, not with people that were <laughs> doing the, the innovative work. So I, I, I think there's arguments on both sides, but I don't think it's as, as binary. Okay. So you be, you um you talked a lot in your book, I think, around the sort of rise of the of the non-employee workforce. What well, what um I mean, there's probably some big big obvious trends out there. In your your perspective, what what is it that's really driving that? Well, look, you talked about it earlier. We look at companies like Google or other companies; they have more independent workers working in their ecosystem than they do employees. So there's this myth out here that. Mm. You know, I, thought, I forgot the exact numbers for Google, but, I, you know, there's a myth here that, you know, they're not in these ecosystems and they are. And so it's not that it's 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 actually here and it's getting bit bigger. The same HR departments, uh, you know, that are trying to retain you and, and do all of this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuff about employees is the same HR departments working on layoffs. Uh, moving people to independent work for, for cost savings reasons or for agility and flexibility reasons. You know, you hire an employee today and the world changes, like uh, the onboarding cost and the offboarding cost of that employee is extremely expensive and business is changing, you know, now faster than ever. And it's not just a cliche, it's actually happening. And so you have to be agile. And so uh, we're, we're starting to see companies say, hey, I need different types of talent. One, that talent may not want to work for me uh, in a captive situation. Right. Right. So right now, if you do NFTs and a company wants to hire Mm. NFT experts, they're not probably going to come work for you in a cap, but they will come and consult or work in an independent uh, way. The other thing is companies are trying to to reduce cost, you know, and that's just the the fact of capitalism and the fact of the way businesses operate and independent labor provides uh, both agility and cost savings. And by the way, you can get access to better talent. You know, we, the argument of right. are all freelancers low quality, I, I would argue say, hey, is the best and the brightest actually working for you? Because right now you probably require them to be within 50 miles of your location. Exactly. So this yeah. argument that, hey, we have the best people, but these other people are probably low quality. I, I really struggle with because the best people are not, uh, you know, often the ones that are within 50 miles of your location or and we'll talk a little bit about diversity uh, in a minute, or the ones that want to come move to where your location is for for cultural reasons or yeah, right reasons. I live here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So I, 
I couldn't, I was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. And today, if offered a job in Seattle coming from New Orleans, it would be really hard to make that move with my family. Uh, just because of the sheer cost difference of those two locations. Yeah, right. You, you, I mean, that's an interesting point because one of the um, the attributes of the, the contact center industry is, you know, people being, the, the, you know, I, I sort of talk about this difference between before you used to bring the people to the work, now you can take the work to the people because of technology is a great medium for that, but, but also it opens up you know the, the 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 differences in the workforce now the going back to the point about, about quality and this sort of people per perceiving that there is a difference in the you know if they're freelancer they can't possibly be as good as somebody who i've got in a you know in a job role because they're doing a job right but we, we um so part of the report that we do each year because you know we're genuinely interested but you know we, we, way, we i just want to say it's a great report so it's what thank I'm you i include the newsletter uh and i look forward to it i've been reading it uh, ever since I met the Limitless team, I think four years ago. So it's a right. Yeah, who's listening who has not had the opportunity to read it. I really recommend uh, picking it up if you're interested in this space. Excellent. I love a plug. Thank you. Um, so we, we so we do the um, we survey you know people like yourselves. We survey a bunch of the industry leaders that are our customers, but we also survey a massive bunch of the the gig experts themselves, and we figure out you know. Who are they? Where do they live? What qualifications have they got? What languages do they speak? Why do they gig? What do they think is good about it? Do they still want to do it? And you know, huge questions, but it gives us these massive data points. Now, the, the thing that we, um, the biggest trend we saw actually was that the, the, the demographic of the, the workforce, if you like, or the gig you know, expert crowd were made up of um, about five categories, actually. So you had stay-at-home parents, students, uh, retirees, professional gig workers, and you also had this sort of other weird one, which was maybe the moonlighters. You know, if you go back to that, you know, they're they're, they're actually commuters, so they're like they go into their fixed job and they've got an hour and a half, two hours commute each each way, sort of thing. They're they're, they're earning money on on the go, but the the ones that we see the most prolific use of are the first three categories. They're they're the ones that really dominant in you know in our in our world so that's the stay-at-home parents that that's the one that you know I, I look at that and that you know makes me warm inside because you know having two young children myself and you know what the difficulties can be with not just um the predictability of childcare, but you know, more importantly the unpredictability right and having the ability to to and often what can happen with that that the other thing that we've we've seen is that it's about self-worth right because People generally want to contribute. They want to earn, you know, and they want to be able to deliver something. But when the only option available to them is, you know, fixed, rigid hours that are often non-complementary to looking after kids, especially very young kids. Right. I, look, there, and I was on a, a call, uh, a podcast yesterday, and we were talking specifically about um, moms re-entering the workforce. Right. Who took time off to care for their kids. And now I see more and more dads staying at home and they're, they're one day going to face companies aren't looking at them and i don't Ooh. it doesn't matter what uh you know companies try to put on their their pr team put on the website and all of this stuff you know when they're competing and there's a gap in your resume um there's somebody else who is there working who has the experience and so you know the idea that there are work stay-at-home parents that there are people that are retired you know in tech look you age out of tech 
there's an article that mm-hmm. I'm going to write on this idea of, you know, there aren't a lot of people over 60 working in tech, right? My dad right. was lucky enough to get a pension, retire at 65. And so you still have years. And, and look, let's imagine we all live to 100. You know, you still mm-hmm. have years to contribute. And the word that I like to use is relevancy. You want to wake up every day and you want to feel relevant. You want to mm. feel like you've done something that contributed to your point, but also makes you relevant and that you learn. And so, you know, there are big swaths of the population. Just look at the the uh, baby boomer generation. The state mm. Those are very productive groups of people. Uh, and the moonlighters, like, look, look at the quiet quitting right now. I was on a call with an executive the other day. He goes, man, you should really just go get a bunch of people at Twitter who are all just, you know, right. locking <laughs> it in right now and have a ton of time in there. And so this idea that your employee, like your employees are engaged is just not true. You just go look at the Gallup poll that comes out every mm. year and tracks employee engagement. I think it hovers around, you know, 38% engaged or 40% engaged. And so you have this cognitive surplus. And so when I go and look at, you know, gig CX opportunities or gig economy strategies for companies, and I, I see the continual focus on the HR policymakers trying to, you know, manage this group of people internally, and then and the and the business leaders not looking outside, saying, "Wow, there's a how do I tap into this cognitive surplus that's been created around the world? How do I train it?" You know, there was a time in in you know the late '90s when people were getting on planes and going over to China to train people how to make computers. Right, mm. China wasn't the beast that it is today. Shenzhen wasn't what it is today. Yeah. And over ten years, you just look at the world as flat. Over ten years, China became the place where all electronics manufacturing is done. But companies, U.S. companies, call it HP, call it Dell, call it Apple, took time to send people over there and train those workforces to bring their mm. quality up, to train them how to do testing, to train them how to do very sophisticated manufacturing and chips and. And I think that's the part that people don't realize. If you want to get the benefit of it, you can't take your employees and spend a ton of time on, you know, cupcake socials and learning events and giving them all the context and and then go over to this other group of people and expect them to operate the same way without investing the training and the context and the way of working differently. I think companies uh, that are willing to do that, companies that are willing to you know, create frameworks that work for remote people where anybody could plug in and be productive in a short amount of time, Mm. uh, you know, can get the benefit of the cognitive surplus that exists. So how does, um, I mean, there's that leap of faith there, isn't there? Because it's like, I use really bad analogies all the time, but it's just how my simple brain works. But, you know, in our world of, this is for me the difference between everyone driving petrol cars and then, you know, they're, they're based upon laws of physics, right? Combustion engines, burning fuel, pistons firing, and that sort of stuff. And that's what, and, and that's that engine, if you like, has been tinkered with. But that's the, the comparison there is to do with your structured workforce. You know, you, you, you come to work, you sit there, you do the work, that's it. And, and you tweak them as much as you can. But fundamentally, it's still based upon the same laws of physics. And then, you know, that's been, that's been there ever since, you know, Henry Ford, right? And... 
maybe we could talk about that because I know you, you, that's a, it's a fantastic um, anecdote when we start talking about those. Um, but and then you get the electric car, right? It's just different laws of physics. They don't. It's just it's a massive mind shift, and those things don't op- don't have don't change overnight. And it's like, you know, I drive I drive an electric car. None of my friends until yesterday drove an electric car. Now one of them's got it, and you know, it will just happen. Not because I've got it, but I just happen to be bit more pioneering if you like in that industry or my car came up for but yeah it's that adoption then then you you know you get that swell but it's that confidence and in some of it seeing what others do but it's also just that we've got to try something different and and it's when the when the the uh there was a there was um i don't know if this if if you get something similar across the pond but there's this there's a um like a politics news show that we have here called panorama right and they they had um, uh, it was about a year and a half ago. So they had members of the parliament, trade unions in this panel, and then the host was talking about gig as a workforce, and it, everybody on that panel was saying how bad it was, bad for the economy, bad for stimulation, bad for education, bad, bad, bad. And then you turn to the audience and people, every, and the, the whole audience, and this is the format, right? They, they wouldn't get their hand up and then the presenter goes around and gives them these mics. And they were like, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a parent. I, I work, I do this, I do taxi drive, and I do a bit of this because it's convenient for me and I get to, I get it to fit around my other life and that sort of stuff. So the, the point I was going to you know, link this back to was companies are, are, are waiting to change their mindset into that electric car analogy but it, it, it the demand on the other side is moving at such a pace because the amount of people that want to work in this way that can work in this way and the legislation hasn't caught up and it feels like the world's got a bit murky in that space and then there's and that's causing people to be a bit sort of um yeah the there's a bit of trepidation about going into that world because of that murkiness that's created because of risks of co-employment and disguised labor and, and all these sorts of things. How how do you, how does a brand adopt a gig mindset to move them into that space? I think the first thing is, you know, where, where we were three years ago to where we are today with more clarity around the laws and the boundaries in the B2C space and the B2B Mm. space uh, globally um, and the ability to do compliance in a very efficient way, right? To make sure that you're classifying people right. Like we're light years ahead in three years from a technology standpoint and a little more clarity. Um, the great example I like to use is what's happening to truck drivers who got caught up in the in the gig law uh, because they're independent workers. And so there's all sorts of challenges around you know, truck drivers who, by definition, uh, in California, fall under the gig economy law. So it's going to be messy, but the, the good news is there's progress and, and uh, people are figuring it out. I want to lean into your electric car analogy in Henry Ford. The thing that Tesla did mm. was not only create an electric car, a fun electric car that you want to drive, right? Mm. But they fundamentally changed the whole owning a car experience. Their NPS is 97. Mm. 97. They do very little advertising. And so when you look at how you buy a Tesla, it's either on a, you know, on your phone, on a website, or you can go into their place, but they're just going to shop on a website. Mm. The buying experience of a car until you go through that has been terrible. 
there's no one who like driving lot to lot dealing with you know car dealerships going into the manager's office getting like that whole process had an nps i'm sure a negative nps yeah then you go and you look at the service model they do mobile servicing they have an app where you you know go and talk to the service people you the other day i i took my car in and I didn't have to talk to a single person. I put my keys in a box. They gave me an Uber uh, credit, $100 a day. Uh, and then they texted me when it was ready and the keys were in uh, the trunk. And so revolutionizing nice. the entire experience mm. and making it pleasurable is what Tesla is bringing to the market. Oh, by the way, it happens to be an electric car and, and that kind of innovation. Mm. I think when companies look at their experience, and they look at, you know, from end to end, uh, there's a, an article I just posted today on LinkedIn about product-led growth and the challenges that companies are having is saying, well, here's my features, here's my content, a customer service rep's gonna, a customer success rep's gonna call you, they're gonna keep calling you and like, none of that helps me accomplish what I'm trying to do. And so I think we're starting to see companies embrace what does an end-to-end -end experience look like starting with the customer and working backwards. And I happen to live in Seattle and have spent some time mm. at Amazon and it's part of their religion. It's not just mm. something on their, you know, strategy thing, customer first, it's where they start. And that's how things, if you want to talk about a company that has a gig mindset, whether it's experts in AWS with AWS IQ, mm. whether it's flex drivers doing last mile delivery, uh, whether it's mechanical Turk, or, you know, they have all over their ecosystem. They've embraced this idea mm. of, hey, sometimes it takes humans to deliver that amazing experience. Mm. And those humans don't, like, don't need to be employees of our company. We will create ways for anyone to participate uh, so we can deliver that in-customer experience. And yeah. I think companies are starting to realize that. And by the way, the companies who adapt the mindset are extremely successful. Well, I mean, we see that, as you hopefully expect. But the... The, the the difference there is like the so what we you know we create is uh, brands to have so it, it, um i remember you know my going back to my first ever job right was in a contact center and it was just i had no relationship with the brand i think i didn't buy from that brand i actually bought from a competitor's brand right but and i wonder like if you walked into a modern day contact center today in source or outsource and said by the way who here has actually got the products that you're giving service about, you know, obviously I don't want to generalize, but the, the model that we're in, uh, empowering organizations to do is to focus on their customer base. They've already chosen them. Yeah. So, you know, you, like you say, MPS for Tesla 96. So if someone said to you, would you recommend a Tesla? Hell yeah, I'm sure. Right? Admit, somebody doesn't have to ask me. That's the difference. <laughs> get into the NPS ranges above 80, above yeah. 85. It's those people are outselling for you. It's mm. not a, it's not a yeah. question of, oh, do you like this thing? I'm an advocate. And that's what I love about uh, your website and the approach that you guys are taking at Lindholm. I'm a brand advocate. That advocacy means I'm proactive in being excited about your brand, wanting your brand to be successful and trying to help you. And it could, because I get the value. I feel mm. part of your brand. Apple people are, are the same. Yeah. You know, you're not going to rip an iPhone out of someone's dead hands. It's just, it's that kind of brand advocacy. And so if you look at any kind of funnel that anyone wants to drive, the goal is to create brand advocates. What mm. they don't realize is that they have to, to your uh, point about the gas car, stop tinkering with the car and deliver a better experience. 
Yeah. If you don't do that, no matter how many funnels you fix, no matter how much content mm -hmm. you put out in the world, no matter how many customer success reps you have, or it's going to be incremental. Uh, and so we're seeing more and more companies sort of cut through the noise and be like, look, let's start with what the customer, uh, the user is trying to accomplish, the customer is trying to accomplish, and then let's work backwards and and find innovative ways to deliver that experience. Uh, yeah. That's the, the promise of uh, what's going on now, and, and Limitless is a great example of that. Uh, so we, we, um, we, I think we're going to need to do a part two because I mean, you, you, the, the, we could talk for hours. We do. We're going to try and keep this about half an hour. And we're probably already well over. There was one thing you mentioned earlier that I know you want to talk about. Um, so we're just going to move a little bit into that, just to sort of to to wrap. Is about how how you feel. You talked about diversity and inclusion, right? So how do you feel that gig enables? You know, that's on a you know, huge bow wave, right? And, and it's political, it's a bit of a minefield, but there is you know, huge sensitivities around it. How does gig enable organizations to adopt a better approach towards that? I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story and, and, I'll, and I'll let you link to the article I did in Fast Company before the pandemic uh, that talked <laughs> about this. I was on stage uh, at a big conference. Room had about 800 people. And I asked a question, how many people in the audience have a, a diversity and inclusion uh, policy or effort at their company? And everybody enthusiastically raised their hands. They were excited. And I said, how many people, and then remember, this is pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. how many people have a remote policy? <laughs> Every hand but a handful went down. And I just fundamentally and in that moment said, then you don't have a diversity and inclusion program. You don't. Reaching out in this way to independent workers through gig platforms or any other way, teaching your company how to work remotely with diverse people is the hard work you need to do. Mm. It's not compliance training. It's not mm. uh, a bunch of PR things where you change your marketing and the people look different. I, I really, and I called it location bias, like companies need to be able to start reaching out to people where they are, whether they're mothers, whether they're, you know, African-American, whether they're uh, mm. disabled, like it was just important. And so if you don't, didn't have at that time a remote policy, again, pre-pandemic, it was just lip service. You had a compliance, you had a compliance program that the HR people put forward and maybe your marketing was starting to get a little more inclusive. Uh, the companies have to start going to where the workers are, whether that mm. is somebody fully employed or whether that's, you know, somebody, um, in an underserved place uh, that's not 50 miles from your campus. So that's my point of view, and I wrote about it in my Fast Company article. And then pandemics kind of forced people to get into that in more detail, right? I think in some ways, in some ways it has. In some ways, you know, it's you know, it takes a business leader mm. to go and say, "Hey, we're going to do this." Yeah. Otherwise, it's easy to check the box with the HR compliance training. Hey, if everybody's trained. And we kind of get our numbers up a little bit and make some different choices. Um, it's easy to pay lip service to. I think it takes a, a business leader in a line of business uh, to go and say, hey, this is the right thing to do, not only for society, not only for our company, but it'll drive our business forward. Full stop. Every study you read says that diversity of thought in general, uh, gender and ethnic diversity leads to better outcomes. Yeah. Every study you pick a you pick a top tier university and a bunch of smart mm. academics who've done studies, and that's what it says. And so it takes a business leader to go and do that. 
Well, let's hope there's some business leaders on this again. Do you know what? We're going to do this. But anyway, that's my unashamed plug at the end. So right, we, we, we're going to run out of time, but we, we're going to need to do a part two. We maybe we'll pick some particular topics and we go through it. But this is all about um, giving people more education, different perspectives. Uh, so it doesn't just feel like it's a big sort of sales journey and stuff. You know, we've all got our, you know, our um, points of view on this sort of stuff. It's fantastic to hear yours. There'll be show notes for those from LinkedIn to some of your um, your articles. And there's a there's a massive plethora out there. I was doing my, it's just too much. I was doing my research for this. I was like, it's too much, pull out there. Um, but if anyone's more interested, you can go on to uh, limitlesstech.com. You can download the gig report there. I promise you it's not a sales brochure. It's an honest and you know genuine perspective of the industry, what's driving it from all aspects, You know the clients that have done it, the, the industry leaders, as well as the experts themselves, all given their perspectives in, a, in an unbiased way. But so thank you again, Paul, for an amazing discussion. Uh, we're going to wrap up there. Um, and stay tuned, folks, for the next one as we work our way through the panel of experts who all contributed to the report and hopefully we'll bring you some more insights and education. But for now, that's it. Goodbye. Thank you again, Paul. And uh, we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Cheers, Paul. Thank mm-hmm. you.